History Film Club. I'm Alex von Tunzelman, a historian and screenwriter. And I'm Hannah Gregg, a historian and consultant to film and television. And this week we have a very exciting applicant to join the History Film Club. We have Dr Joanne Paul. Welcome Joe. Joe is a senior lecturer in early modern history at the University of Sussex and author of The House of Dudley, A New History of Tudor England, which is out now. And we were just commenting on how it has a very strokeable cover. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm reassured to know I'm not the only one who has stroked the cover of my book. <laughs> <laughs> It's a very, very beautiful book. So, yes, yeah. absolutely. People can go and have a look at that online. Um, Joe, so looking at the House of Dudley, now just for those listeners who might not know quite who they are, what, who are they alongside the Tudors? Yeah, so they're um, a, a family uh, in, in the Tudor period um, who have very dramatic uh, rises and falls throughout the 16th century. Um, they come very, very close to the throne uh, at various points, um, and each generation also ends up on the scaffold. Um, so they're very influential, uh, they're very important. One of the things that I try to draw out in the book is underneath this very dramatic story and and um, you know treason and execution and everything else um, the house of Dudley also is involved in a lot of the events and the um, I suppose institutions the changes that we associate um, with the Tudor period um, and one of the things I suspect we might talk about is, is how the Dudleys actually don't end up in a lot of representations of the Tudor period. And so one of the things I'm trying to do in this book is draw out, well, actually, we, we lose a lot of, of, and we don't understand the period fully if we take the Dudleys out of it. And it's interesting that um, you, know, you can see why the Tudors are such a, have so much cinematic appeal, because these stories have these moments of high drama. And, you know, as you've mentioned, they often end up in the scaffold with somebody's head being chopped off or, you know, meeting their end in some other gruesome way. And um, you open up the book by asking the question, actually, whether the Dudleys, as a family, were out to steal the throne. And um, without giving it too much away, would do you think that is actually what was motiv motivating them at the centre of all this court politics? Yeah, I mean, at, at the risk of sort of um, jumping, jumping to the end a, a little bit, um, it's, I, I don't think so. Um, no, I guess is, is the simple answer. I, I don't think I, I don't think so. Um, I think that there were a lot of complex motivations. Um, there's definitely something odd going on with them, and 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 that's what really drew me to their story to begin with. Um, you know, uh, to to lose one member of the family uh, to, to treason is 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 an accident. More than that, you know, you start to go, hmm, what's what's going on here? Um, and so definitely they were motivated by something. I think that um, part of that was uh, a bit of fear. Um, there's this sense that you get when you read their letters and spend a lot of time, in essence, with them, um, that uh, they were afraid of, of, of death. They were afraid of, um, of, of being sort of pushed aside, of being forgotten. Um, which is ironic, of course, because their answer to that is, is to climb higher in the Tudor court and inevitably um, that, that does lead to their downfall. 
Um, so it, it's it's a sort of ironic desire for security that motivates them partly. Um, partly it is service to the crown. Um, they, they think a lot about how best to serve the monarchy. Um, Edmund Dudley, the, the first Dudley that I, I deal with in the book, writes a whole book on um, on the crown and service to the crown. John Dudley, the second Dudley that I deal with in that in that next generation, um, writes letters reflecting on what service means. Um, and of course, um, Robert Dudley, Earl of Leicester, um, does serve the Queen uh, throughout his, his life and he manages to die in his bed. Um, and so I, I think there is this, this desire to serve um, that, that also motivates them throughout. Um, so not a, a, an ambition to overthrow the Tudor monarchy. So the one that filmmakers have zeroed in on occasionally is, of course, Robert Dudley, um, because now you said serve the Queen in terms of Elizabeth I. Now filmmakers are all twirling their moustaches at this point and going, oh, serve the Queen, you say. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think viewers of, of my generation will, of course, remember Elizabeth with Kate Blanchett, where, of course, Robert Dudley is Joseph Fiennes. Um, yes, he is, is. This is the hot <laughs> Dudley. So, so tell us a bit about him and what was going on there, really. Uh, so Robert um, had a lot of work to do as a young man um, because his father and brother were both executed for treason. Um, and I'm sure at some point we'll talk about um, why and, and Lady Jane Grey and all of that affair. Um, and he manages to rise um, quite well and quite quickly under Elizabeth I. Um, as, as soon as um, she comes to the throne, he's one of the first to get a letter from Cecil, um, essentially inviting him to the court, um, notifying him that Elizabeth is now queen, um, and he becomes master of the horse, um, which is a role which allows him uh, not just some prestige, but um, very importantly, physical proximity to the queen. And so not long after, uh, rumors begin to circulate that in addition to, you know, courting um, many of the, the princes of Europe, uh, Elizabeth may have a suitor closer to home um, in Robert Dudley himself, which of course uh, raises alarm bells um, as well as eyebrows um, because he is the son and grandson of executed traitors. Um, and very, very many assume that they will marry um, many assume throughout uh, their lives that they have married, um, that they've had a secret marriage at some point. Um, but of course, uh, we know, again, not to, not to, to ruin anything, we know um, that they, they don't ever marry. It's okay, I don't think you really have spoilers for like the Tudor. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, that's just it. I mean, I think most people know or, you know, can Wikipedia it, so. Yeah. <laughs> remember watching Elizabeth on the big screen and I must have been at quite an impressionable age because I do remember uh, Joseph Fiennes playing Robert Dudley and in that film it's, it is presented as a love match and it, I sort of recall him being slightly a mournful character at the end as though as though it is a sort of unrequited love story in some capacity but that might not be a, a true memory of the film I have to say um, but it, do you think that is that, that is that what's going on that particular interpretation? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I have the same impression of the film, though I think Joseph Fiennes just always looks a bit like a sad puppy, doesn't he? So, 
um, uh, yeah, I, it, in, it, there is an interpretation of, of the historical record in which I think that that's not inaccurate. Um, Dudley, um, Robert Dudley, uh, his sister, um, various members of the Dudley family did feel sort of hard done by Elizabeth, that they weren't rewarded by her sufficiently. Um, and in terms of the relationship between uh, Dudley and Elizabeth, certainly it was a very emotional one. There was a lot of love there. I think that it wasn't purely unrequited. Um, Elizabeth, I think, adored him. And we have the last letter that he sends her right before his death. Um, she has written on it, labeled it in her own hand, his last letter. And she keeps it by her bedside until her own death. Um, so she clearly felt quite a bit for him. Um, and no matter what he did, she always welcomed, welcomed him back. However, on the marriage, um, it, it is the case that Robert gave up a lot in order to retain her favor. Um, there's this wonderful, well, I mean, wonderful from a historian's perspective, very sort of tragic in a way, um, uh, if, if you're thinking about it sort of more, more um, subjectively, but um, where he is writing to his mistress um, and his mistress is uh, essentially begging him to finally marry her um, and he essentially says, there's, there's nothing in the world I want more than to continue the Dudley line, being now the last of my house, except the, retaining the Queen's favour. And so he, he doesn't remarry for a long time um, because he knows that if he does, he, he, the Queen will probably toss him out of the court. And indeed, that's what happens when he does eventually marry. So. He essentially gives up any chance to continue uh, his own line, his own house, the House of Dudley, in order to um, stay in with the Queen. And so the fact that that really doesn't come to anything, that, that, that they don't end up marrying, is, 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 is tragic in a way. Do you filmmakers go in on, um, because, you know, Dudley's first wife, who I think is Amy Robsart, is that right? Um, yes, yeah. Yeah. So she died in 1560, I think, in a in a little bit of a suspicious circumstance. Now, you know, what exactly happened there? Yeah, that's very interesting because actually I don't know how often that has been represented in film. Um, because if we're talking about Elizabeth, for instance, um, the shock, the, you know, the surprise that um, the twist, I guess, that they represent in that film is that he's already married, which at that point, Elizabeth knew. Um, they sort of yeah. bring together his two marriages, his, the later revelation of his marriage um, to Latisse Knowles with um, his marriage to, to Amy Robsart. So it's very interesting that they don't actually um, deal with that at all in, in that film. Uh, Amy Robsart is found at the bottom of a flight of stairs um, her neck broken and two injuries uh, to her head, including one that's that's very, very deep. Um, she had that morning told all her servants to leave the house. Um, and when they resisted, she'd gotten very, very emotional. So those are the circumstances that we know about. Um, obviously, there is there is something very suspicious and, and mysterious about that. Uh, immediately, uh, Robert is concerned that he's going to be accused of doing something because there had been rumors before her death that he would have her poisoned. Um, so 
the 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 circumstances the 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 whispers even before her death was that he was going to do away with her so that he could marry the queen um i mean i i think that uh if if he did do that it was a serious miscalculation because of course it's very difficult for the queen to justify marrying a man who maybe killed his first wife um, <laughs> i mean not a brilliant awkward, idea generally. no <laughs> no no so and i i don't think robert did miscalculate um that that severely that frequently so i you know i would be surprised um uh william cecil says some very suspicious things and it is in his benefit for uh amy to have died and of course it, it could have indeed been an accident, which is what the coroner rules, um, or uh, it may have been a suicide. So, um, but either way, it really sort of casts a pall on any uh, relationship between Elizabeth and Robert. But it doesn't doesn't stop the rumours and doesn't stop the possibility that they could marry. I guess one reason to leave it out of films like Elizabeth is if you're trying to establish Robert Dudley as your romantic hero, possibly shoved his wife down the stairs is like not a great backstory yeah it's it's less sexy yeah for sure (laughs) yeah it's it's such a tantalizing part of the story that I could imagine you know as in a writer's room people becoming quite intrigued by that but how it would completely skew the story that you were trying to write about the courts um because what Elizabeth if Elizabeth had done it it's a classic who done it isn't it like who who commissioned the death of the story at the bottom of the stairs and um so I have a whole other film now playing in my head (laughs) (laughs) We find the, the body at the bottom. Yeah, Christie. Yeah. Agatha Christie meets the court of Elizabeth. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like well, five let's, different let's, suspects. <laughs> yeah, let's let's make that film. I think it'd be fantastic. I was going to say, so to skip back a little bit, because um, you did mention, of course, and we will come to uh, Lady Jane Grey, because um, here we've got another Blimmin' Dudley turns up in another romantic entanglement. I mean, some people might have seen, don't know how many people have, I have seen Lady Jane from 1986, directed by Trevor Nunn, with uh, a very young Kerry Elwes being quite handsome as Guilford Dudley. Yeah. Um, so what what goes on here? Yeah, so I think many people will know the story of, of Lady Jane Grey, the Nine Days Queen, or at least know that, um, which is which is a large part of the story. Um, it, uh, it, it sort of occurs um, towards the ends of the reign of the young Edward VI. Um, the crown should by all rights and, and laws passed to his half-sister, Mary I, which of course it does eventually, um, but he decides instead um, that it's going to pass to his cousin, Lady Jane Grey, um, who by that point had very recently married Guilford Dudley, um, Robert Dudley's brother, uh, the son of John Dudley, Duke of Northumberland, uh, who was at that point the most powerful figure uh, in Edward's court. Um, and so uh, this is this is what the king decrees. The council, with um, some persuading, accepts it. And um, Jane Grey, um, who is in fact Jane Dudley at that point, is proclaimed queen. Um, John and his sons have to uh, go off and uh, sort of fight off Mary the first. Um, but there there is no battle that takes place. As soon as John leaves the court, um, the council essentially changes its mind um, and turns turns against uh, the House of Dudley and um, declares uh, for, for Mary. And so um, al- almost all the Dudleys are immediately imprisoned in the tower. 
uh, John Dudley is executed um, very quickly. Um, and then much later, uh, Jane and, and Guilford are executed as well. Um, one of the things, I mean, it's a great film, if, if people haven't seen it, um, it is it is fantastic. Um, one of the things that it suggests is, is that there is a romance that occurs um, between Jane Grey and Guilford Dudley, um, that she's resistant to the marriage at first and then it sort of blossoms <laughs> into, into a romance. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about that, but it's beautiful to watch. <laughs> I, don't, I found them quite like it's it's one of those films again it's sort of it's trying to um establish these for a modern audience and of course this is what you always have to do on film is yeah. cheat it a bit because actually you're making the film really for a modern audience and i do like it's a while ago that i saw it but i'm pretty sure i remember them being very keen on like democracy um together <laughs> and like, yeah. all of this, you're like really yeah yeah and I mean what it is fairly true to in a lot of ways is a lot of the representations that we get of Jane Grey Dudley as um, a sort of uh, Protestant hero almost martyr um, you know I think there's that that famous uh, scene where um, you know they, they're, they're trying to convince her that that uh, Jesus is in the bread and you know and it was was Jesus a door was was Jesus a vine you know um, this this sort of you know fiery passionate defense of of her religion um and that is how she's represented um by uh, some contemporary sources as well as um sources uh going into the 17th 18th 19th centuries um which is nice actually because a lot of sources also represent her very much as as a victim um and so it's it's great to see and i mean helen bonham carter amazing um definitely can't see her as a weak victim in, in any casting. Um, and uh, so it's nice to see her presented that way. Um, and it is true at the very least to some of the, I mean, you might call it sort of Protestant propaganda that is built around Jane Grey at the time. So that's the, the previous generation then, isn't it? That's And that's John's son, is that right? Who marries yeah. Lady Jane. So, and then, yeah. but your book starts with Edmund at the sort of beginning of the 16th century, do we see him on screen um, as much as those later romantic heroes? No, no, not very much. Um, I'm told, I'm afraid I haven't seen it, I'm told he's in The Spanish Princess, um, oh, yes. which which I have not watched, um, but I, I, think, I think he's in that. Um, and I think there was a um, BBC sort of miniseries in the 70s, I think, called In the Shadow of the Tower or Shadow of the Tower, something like that, um, which details the reign of, of Henry VII. And it is really beautifully done. Um, uh, and I think he's at the end of that. He should be. <laughs> I'd be surprised if he wasn't. Um, but that's that off. Uh, he's, I mean, first of all, you don't get much about the reign of Henry VII on film or TV anyway. Um, so that that takes away <laughs> a whole lot of, of possibility that we see, see Edmund. Um, and then he's, he's also not, he's, he's sort of not acknowledged or even talked about um, when, for instance, there are films about John or, or Robert. Um, and that was something I was trying to bring out in this book is, is the sense of the family as a family intergenerationally and the legacy that, that carries um, because of, of their upbringing, because of um, the way in which they are stained by the treason of the previous generation, um, and that connection and that reality that each of them would have to face. 
I think the thing is also just quite honestly from a filmmaking perspective you've got you know I mean Robert and Guildford the brothers who are both kind of potentially shagging queens is just far more interesting <laughs> I mean that's that is that is fair absolutely yeah Robert, uh, sorry Edmund Dudley is not I mean I, he could be a kind of sexy character I always see him as a sort of Benedict Cumberbatch kind of you know that sort of nerdy um sort of obsessive <laughs> kind Very of sexy poss obsessive poss yeah. yeah possibly sexy kind yeah. of kind of person um but yeah he, he he he's not um you know uh collar open kind of Guilford or Robert <laughs> and do you count I don't know if you count him um but Robert Devereux second Earl of Essex stepson I think of Dudley yeah, well, and that's the interesting thing. I always talk about my book being sort of three and a half generations because the book proper does end with the death of Robert, but then I have a bit of a sort of epilogue coda where I talk about what happens after that. And you do get a fourth generation who gets very close to the throne and ends up on the block, um, and that is Robert Devereux, Earl of Essex, um, who, um, you know, I definitely didn't want to devote a whole chapter or part to um, because I think he is a very unappealing character. <laughs> um, uh, and, um, you know, you, you go from Robert, who is an absolute, you know, mastermind really of court intrigue and rumor, and um, who uh, is a patron of the arts, um, who is uh, cultivated and cultured, and, you know, all, all of these wonderful things, um, and manages to navigate um, the court with, you know, very little to, to start with, um, having just emerged essentially from the tower, um, to Robert Devereux, who just can't do anything right, um, and is, is, is <laughs> frankly very dim. Um, <laughs> I mean, I would say pretty perfectly cast as Errol Flynn in The Private Lives of Elizabeth and Essex. One of my favorite, <clears throat> one of my favorite uh, films is is Private Lives of, of Elizabeth and Essex um, for the casting, Betty Davis and, and Errol Flynn, um, and, and a Vincent Price thrown in um, in the background as, yes. as well. Um, wonderful, wonderful film. Uh, yeah, we, we I, I'm trying to think, we don't get many other representations of him in film, do we? Um, I'm always very so, surprised by that because, you know, it is, Elizabeth and Essex is a good story. Yeah, um, it, but, it, you know, it I mean, is. I, think I would say that's not my favourite Betty Davis, uh, Elizabeth I performance in that film. Oh, do you, you know, like the later one? I do like the later one. Yeah. I think in Elizabeth and Essex, she's too aged up and it's a bit too yeah. mannered. Um, yeah. You know, she's sort of like shaking as if she's supposed to be an old lady and you're like, oh, for goodness sake. This is yeah. ridiculous. But I mean, <laughs> you know, Elizabeth, I mean, obviously opposite Errol Flynn is quite inherently delightful. Um, and there is there is some extremely uh, historically inappropriate costuming and makeup, which is oh, very yeah. good fun as well. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I think it has a bit more, it follows the historical story a bit more than the later Elizabeth film. Um, which I, th I think has no basis in anything. <laughs> um, but, you know, with, with these films, you just sort of have to sit back and, and, and enjoy their take 
on on it it's it's you know it's like the the historical historical accuracy of of shakespeare's henry v doesn't matter right um you've just yeah, got to enjoy the the artistry of of the filmmaking itself well all of the discussion of elizabeth then just actually brought to my mind the blackadder you know satire yeah. of elizabeth and i just wondered who plays dudley <laughs> in in blackadder and um it seems I'm not the first person to ask this because Google answers it. <laughs> so, I don't know. Alex, do you want to try and guess or not? God, I don't even know if he's in it. Is he is in it. He... Is he? Well, according, oh, to, according to the internet, he is. But, you know, I don't know that for... Yeah, who played Dudley in Blackadder is a standard question that's asked of Google. Well, go on then. Who is um, it? <laughs> Bill Wallace. Right. He play, he's a character actor. Uh, what else has he played in? I recognise his face. Um, what else has he been in? So, oh, he's in the other Berlin girl as the Archbishop Cranmer, and huh. uh, films. That's. I mean, we're not. We're not yeah. going to talk about the other Berlin girl, are we? <laughs> oh well. <laughs> <laughs> That's with its historical accuracy. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is this. Yeah. Well. Anyway, so um, there you go. We can cut oh, that, gosh, but uh, I was just curious. To... No, I'm not going to go fun. and rewatch Blackadder and find out what Dudley does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I didn't remember that he was in it. I mean, all I can remember is Queenie from... <laughs> from <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to double check because maybe the internet is not giving me accurate information. Maybe he pushes someone down the stairs in it. <laughs> <laughs> Blackadder will go where no other films will. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, Ah, okay, anyway, there we go. So that's my little bit of internet uh, searching, just then out of curiosity. Thank you. By, um, yeah. by a fascination for Elizabeth and Dudley. Mm. Um, <laughs> and then also, before you came on, Joe, I have to say Alex and I were doing a very in-depth analysis of, of who's the hottest Robert Dudley on screen. Uh, uh, and we, we should have so... done an entire podcast about that, frankly. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's answer um, it now, at least. What do you yes. think, Joe? I mean, I think I'm probably going to have to go Joseph Fiennes. Oh, we could rank them. We could, we could, <laughs> oh, we could attempt, yeah. <laughs> we could attempt a ranking. Um, it becomes very difficult because then next to my mind is 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 a battle really between Tom Hardy and Joe Alwyn. Um, mm. Which I mean, if it were an actual battle, I think Tom Hardy has it, but it's <laughs> it's a it's a very very tough one, and I'm probably forgetting a few as well who am I forgetting well it just I mean it's kind of shows doesn't it that they are cast as these romantic heroes you have these big yeah. actors these stars that we know of whose, yeah. whose role is to be incredibly romantic and attractive and to draw you in and and it's a reminder that that is how the characters are written on screen um, I have to say Joseph Fiennes is probably the most accurate uh casting um because Robert Dudley, um, it's, you know, not at all correct now, um, but was known as um, the Gypsy um, because he was quite dark. Um, and even in portraits, you can see that he had a sort of uh, darker coloring um, and um, a sort of uh, darkness to his eyes. And so I think Joseph Fiennes um, represents that. Um, better than, for instance, Joe Alwyn, who's just very, very blonde. Mm. Um, uh, and he, he sort of looks a bit like the portrait as well, Joseph Fine. So I, th I think he's he's a very accurate casting. He does, a bit Hollywooded up, but yes, smouldering, I think is yeah, what Yeah, 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 the very, very good. Yeah, that's, that's the word. <laughs> 
Um, I was just trying to find out who it was actually in um, the Glenda Jackson, Mary Queen of Scots, and it was Daniel Massey, who was a great actor of his generation. But yeah, I think mm. he's he's a bit of a side character in Mary Queen of Scots, though. He's not like, you know, it's all about Timothy Dalton as Lord Darnley, really. Um, yeah, yeah. Which again is interesting, because the, the newer Mary Queen of Scots, um, of course, it is Joe Alwyn who plays Robert Dudley, and he is more central to it as as he should be actually he was very central to that entire story and that entire relationship between mary and elizabeth um so i i we, we can talk about other things about that film but i i did like to see that he was he was considered to be um important to 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 that story in that and film. i think in that film we might see amy robsart taking a tumble down the stairs but I'm not sure they oh. they say who did it. But I, I'm trying to remember. Somebody can correct me um, online if I'm wrong. I can't entirely remember whether you see it or whether it happens off screen. Oh, I haven't seen it in so, so long. The original, you mean? Yeah, um, yeah. God, the, yeah, I well, don't remember. I mean, original. It's hard to say what's original when it's been well, yeah, made yeah. so many times. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the Glenda not, Jackson. The not, yeah, yeah, the not recent one, yeah. No, yeah. no, the Glenda Jackson, Vanessa Redgrave, yeah. 1972. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think. You might. I mean, I've just sort of got a memory of it, but you know when you don't know, and this is what happens with film, you don't know yeah. whether you've uh, made it up in your own head and then it actually <laughs> yeah. is there, or whether it's on film, or whether it actually happened in history. There's a very <laughs> slight... Particularly in our heads. It's just a suit yeah. of possibilities. Yeah. <laughs> well, if any of our listeners know of a film that shows the scene where Dudley, possibly, or Dudley's wife, is falls down the stairs under mysterious circumstances, then let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, Joanne, it's been really great to talk about, you know, the House of Dudley and your work. And there's so many of these films which touch on these these stories of this incredible um, uh, family and uh, the risks that they take. Um, are there any films in particular that or productions that you would suggest we should put into our club library? So I was actually going to suggest The Private Lives of Elizabeth and Essex, um, 1939. Um, I, it's, it, I think it's one of the first Tudor films that I ever watched um, when I was was growing up every Saturday I think it was every Saturday night on TV Ontario a few people will, <laughs> will, will go Woo, for TV Ontario <laughs> TVO um, they they used to show uh, you know older older films and um, we used to stay up it was a treat stay up late and, and watch and I think it was one of the first sort of Tudor era films um, that I, I watched um, was and, and it, it is it, it just it, it is fantastically beautiful as a film um, so I would I would recommend that one I think okay well like, even though I prefer the Virgin Queen Betty Davis's other Elizabeth performance I will allow this because it Thank is you. super fun to watch I mean I do remember a neon green ostrich feather fan which I found very fetching that Elizabeth was <laughs> waving around at some point well you can't you can't you can't not allow a film with Errol Flynn in it like completely it's just, completely and I mean also just I think what is brilliant about it is even though that film is like yeah super high color Hollywood camp all of that you see I actually got 
Joanne Paul into Tudor history. So it doesn't matter that the film is <laughs> somewhat camp and ridiculous because what results is an actual historian writing proper books. So. I tell you, it's, it's a gateway drug. <laughs> you see, it is. Um, so that on that alone, I would say it qualifies. But thank for you, sure, I mean, you. Betty Davis and Errol Flynn, really, who can resist? So absolutely. And actually, the, it's not bad on historical accuracy, that film, I think. I think uh, yeah, I, I, it's not I mean, as bad as yeah as some others, and I mean, I I think that um, I, you know, Errol Flynn as as the Earl of Essex. I mean, I I would cast someone less charming. I think as Errol Essex. But I also yeah, I also just like watching Errol Flynn, so I'm not gonna fight it. Okay, well that will add to the club library now, Joe. We also do like. Uh, our guests to you know try and maintain the exclusivity of the history film club by nominating something to ban from the club now you know this can be a particular production you don't like or it can be a certain trope that comes up a lot in film and tv anything that you really think should be banned from our club that's really hard. I don't want to get accused of cancelling something. Um, <laughs> well, there's some things need cancelling. Well, we can't yeah. ban the green ostrich feather fan now because no, that's, that's staying. No, that's, that's, we must all staying. have one. Yeah. yeah. Um, New club uniform. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say a mascot or something. Um, I, uh, I mean, I have a bit of... Okay, well, if, if it's a sort of a trope or something, because I have a pet peeve about them, 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 people, filmmakers, um, <laughs> cutting cutting the Dudleys out of things. So, I mean, I, I particularly get incensed, I suppose is the word, um, with Elizabeth the Golden Age, um, because they've just, Robert Dudley just isn't there. <laughs> they've just lost him somewhere along the way. <laughs> Um, and of course, it, it ends with um, Elizabeth's speech at, at West Tilbury and, you know, a stomach of, of a king and all, all of that um, sort of stuff, which he actually set up as an event. He invited the queen down. He was in charge of the troops at West Tilbury. He said, if you come down and talk to the troops, you will talk to more than those who are just assembled that day. Um, he made sure that the speech was recorded. Part of the speech, she talks about how great he is. Um, and then he dies shortly thereafter. And it's very, very tragic um, because he's sort of at the height of, of his power um, and affection with, with the queen. And so to just cut all of that out. Um, so I don't want to like... Probably just, they probably just couldn't get Joseph Fiennes to come back. I mean, I think he may have been busy. Yes. Yeah. And they really wanted... Um, who is it? Is Clive, Clive Owen, isn't it? They really wanted right. him. Um, but I, uh, I, so I don't want to ban Elizabeth the Golden Age, um, because I, I can't physically ban anything with Kate Blanchett in it, um, which just can't be done, but cutting out <laughs> Dudley's unnecessarily, maybe, maybe that's, that's my, the my, absence my... of Dudley's. Yes, well, yes, Well, I, I think we can, we can do that because I think also, especially after your book, I'm quite sure if there are any filmmakers listening, um, I don't know if it's available for option, but I mean, surely this should restore the Dudleys to their rightful place. Here's, here's hoping. Come on, filmmakers, yeah. pony up. <laughs> Get in touch with Joe's agent via Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> please do. So, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, brilliant. Well, we will ban the absence of Dudleys. I love banning Thank a negative. You. That's particularly yeah. brilliant. <laughs> I think I think on that basis, um, and surely you can't be accused of cancellation for that because you've cancelled a thing that doesn't exist. So really, yeah. that's, that's kind of fine. There you go. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> defeat cancel culture by only exactly. in existence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that basis, uh, Dr. Joanne Paul, it gives me great pleasure to welcome you as a full member of the History Film Club. I am honoured. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Now, we do Your love Ostrich to... fan will be in the post. Yes. I am looking forward to it. <laughs> there's there's, a, there's a, a very kind of annoyed looking ostrich right around the history <laughs> <Yeah. from Cup. laughs> Oh, faux, uh, faux ostrich feathers. Faux, faux ostrich. Faux. Yeah, 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 faux is fine. fine. Yes. <laughs> faux is fine, yes. Um, no ostriches were inconvenienced in the making of the yeah. history yeah. film. Yeah. <laughs> make very clear. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, or you could have that, you know, like Cecil B. DeMille making Hedy Lamarr's gown out of peacock feathers he made them out of feathers that his pet peacocks had dropped over the course of many years in the garden well so i okay. will i will notify my pet peacock that i will be <laughs> collecting it <laughs> i think if the animals discarded it voluntarily that's probably yes, okay of course but yes yes, yes yeah. yeah maybe not if you uh <laughs> if you just take it upon yourself to so we, we just need to find a neon green peacock or ostrich out ostrich, there somewhere yes. yeah yeah there's a challenge let's hope they don't get cancelled yeah. <laughs> so, Joe, we love to buy all our new members a drink from the club bar, of course. That can make any drink, historical or modern, uh, hard or soft, anything you like. Uh, so what can we get you? Oh, I, you know, I have been craving a port of late, um, uh -huh. which I think is, is historic. Um, I, I think is, 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 I mean, it's 10 to 10 when we're recording this um, in the morning. So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, but let's pretend it's the evening, um, finishing finishing a, a Tudor banquet, um, I would have a port. Very civilised. No, we, we won't have that before lunch. That might be a bit much, even for the History Film Club. <laughs> very, very lovely. We will get you that, Joe. And thank you very much for being part of the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. It was a great joy. So this has been the History Film Club. I'm Alex Hunt-Hunterman. I'm Hannah Gregg. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you.